the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the dagger? Great night to be a Mountaineer, wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Tuesday the 30th, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Nicewarner. Alongside me, Parker Stone. Luke's got the day off today. Went up to uh, Morgantown to well, see the family and everything. So hopefully he had a good trip. I think he was at the uh, well the first edition of the Backyard Brawl for this week, the Pittsburgh and WVU soccer game. If you want to see that, it's over on our Twitter page, at EP News Network. But uh, good morning, Parker. Good morning. Sadly, I believe the uh, Panthers down the Mountaineers last night in that soccer game. I think it was I think it was 3 nothing was the final of that. Yeah. Man, is Luke bad luck charm I, I i hope not i hope not anyway but you know i would i would rather take one on the chin soccer yeah. wise and then get the uplift from football on thursday but yeah you'll get more chances in soccer i think there you go then you do in football and uh, as we know football is king but before we talk about west virginia because of course they announced who's going to be the starter to no surprise i don't think to anybody in the state or the country you brought this up right before uh, we went on air, and I really want to talk about it because Manti Teo, right? The documentary has been out on Netflix. I think it's called like Untold Stories or something. Uh, go watch it if you haven't. And if you don't remember who Manti Teo was, uh, you're not. You shouldn't uh, be too upset that you don't remember him because of this situation. He kind of vanished off the face of the earth. So he was one of the highest recruited, I think, linebackers ever out of the state of Hawaii. He had a big choice whether he went to Hawaii, Southern Cal, or Notre Dame. Really, his big three he ended up, of course, going to Notre Dame, where he just set the world on fire. He was a Heisman finalist. He ended up losing it to Johnny Manziel. Uh, but there was the whole thing, right? He was a great, great linebacker. I remember because uh, I was a senior in high school during the time that he was really flourishing. Um, at Notre Dame, and he was incredible to watch. He was fast. He was big. He was somebody you never really saw at Notre Dame. You know, a uh, uh, like an island guy. Uh, uh, he's like the the Samoan background, the you know South Pacific background. You didn't see that at Notre Dame, especially in the linebacker position. He sh- like really changed Notre Dame there for a while because they were going through a pretty significant stretch of a bunch of years where they weren't very good, and then he comes in and bang. They're good, and they're playing for a national championship where they eventually got absolutely destroyed, dismantled by probably one of the better Alabama teams in the last decade or so. But the biggest story for Manti Teo was the fact that his girlfriend, his long-distance girlfriend, and his grandmother, they both passed away on the same exact day. And everybody remembers uh, at this point that it came out right before the national championship game that his girlfriend was indeed... Not who he thought she was and, uh, well, that she was fake and that all these things came out. So if you watch this documentary, you'll get a really a good behind-the-scenes look of really what went down. And we know the the term catfishing now. Everybody knows what that means. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. But back then, nobody knew really what catfishing was. And my guy got into one of the most elaborate catfishing schemes I've ever seen and absolutely ruined his life and I remember all the memes coming out you know people with their arms just kind of around an imaginary person saying they were Manti Tail's girlfriend I mean they were kind of funny I feel bad saying that but they were 
pretty funny. But the the it made me. I mean, I almost started crying at the end of the documentary when he was talking about all the stuff he went through. But it's crazy how that completely just destroyed his professional career. I was embarrassing. It was very much embarrassing. He, like he he went on like today with Katie Couric, yeah, and talked about his girlfriend. And lo and behold, it's 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 a trans person pretending to be the person the entire time, right? And then that comes out, and then the woman's name is escaping me. I'll have to find it here in a second. But it's a Naya Tuescopo mm-hmm. is there. She tells her side of the story in it, and. She basically says, yeah, I feel remorseful for whatever I did, but it just felt good during the time. And, well, lo and behold, you ended up ruining the career of a almost Heisman winning linebacker, which that is, that's rare. And he should have had a a successful NFL career. I mean, he was set up for it perfectly. I mean, he was a huge guy. He was fast. He was a different type of linebacker than what we were used to seeing, especially at that time. Now we're kind of used to the, you know, fit, fast kind of linebacker guys that could be like a stretch end or something like that. But he was really the first at that kind of a level. But, um, yeah, man, it it just – it made me feel so, so bad because I remember all the memes. I remember everybody immediately forgot about him and his football uh, prowess. And that's all you wanted to talk about. And that's all you heard about was that. And then, you know, the craziest part to me was watching all the news clips that they were showing about, you know, uh, ESPN anchors and, you know, CNN, Fox, all the different news publications that eventually it all just flipped. And they thought he was trying to cover up his sexual orientation, which I think is just shows the dark side of the media that that's immediately what they went to. But wow, just what. One of the most incredible, incredible situations ever. I mean, he had so much spotlight on him. He was going through the combine, and that's all anybody wanted to ask him about was, you know, the girlfriend. Was she real? Was she not? Did she really die? Was this? And then people started to think that he put this all together just to get that extra attention, you know, to, you know, separate him from the rest of, uh, you know, college football, really. And it did. But then you come to find out that it was, it was all just this elaborate thing by one person. Just one person. They thought they were dealing with a whole family. Yeah, and it's it's just a sad it's a sad story. Just because this guy was primed out to have a wonderful NFL career, I think, and then it just gets derailed from all this. And it's kind of like how that's why teams didn't want to draft Tim Tebow when he came mm-hmm. out. It was just if you draft Tebow, Tebow is going to be bigger than your team. This was the same sentiment right here, Manti Teo. If you took Manti Teo, it's like, okay, he's going to be bigger than your team. People are going to be flocking all over you and asking him about this, asking him about that. And he ended up having a decent little NFL career. I think it was about for five, mm-hmm. maybe six seasons. He bounced around between, I think, the Chargers, the Saints, maybe a couple other stops too. But, yeah, it, it could have been a much better NFL career, I think, if this didn't happen. It's just how he, he handled it was such – I'm impressed with how well he's mm-hmm. handled it over the years because – that would that that could break some people. Just, oh yeah, it, like it could it could be detrimental things could happen throughout that. But he's handled it very well, and he's moved on post NFL career very much well. And the fact that he's opened up and wanted to do this is big. It it says a lot. It really says a lot to Manti Teo's character. I think. I mean, at the end uh, of the thing, he says like. You know, uh, he was, of course, going to therapists and things like that. And the therapist was like, have you forgiven yourself? And then you see him start to like break down. It's like, oh, man, now it's going to start getting serious. And he's like, he's like, I I used to, you know, stay away from people who wanted autographs, kids who wanted autographs. And I realized, you know, those people were fans at one point and they're still fans, even if they are, you know, getting an autograph just to make fun of me and things like that, which, man, it was just 
Just an emotional roller coaster that uh, documentary is. If you got some time, uh, I think it's two episodes. I think they're an hour or so long. So uh, if you got some time this evening or at some point, I highly suggest you watch it because you it was su- it's super easy to forget how great of a football player he was uh, because this overshadowed his entire life and his family's um, entire life. But man, I just want to talk about that. It was insane. Yeah. Crazy story. Yeah, it's insane. Just to give you some of the accolades. If you weren't watching college football when Man Titea was playing. Maxwell Award winner, Lot Trophy, Chuck Bednarik Award, Walter Camp Award, unanimous All-American in 2012. Was he he named he got just about every single defensive honor you could get in 2012 when he basically was the headline for Notre Dame going to the national championship that year for yep. the first time Notre Dame felt relevant in over a decade in truth, but yeah, and then he even through all that he he carved out a pretty good NFL career. He got drafted in 2013, even through all that he went through, he was still a second-round pick. Yeah, just to, just to prove how good he was, and should have, and was almost really he almost went to the Ravens last pick of the first round. Yeah, after all of that, he played for the Chargers from 2013 to 2016, Saints 2017 to 2019, had a stint with the Chicago Bears in 2020. He's still active right now. He hasn't officially retired from the NFL, but he's been out of the league for two years. If something does, if no traction picks up at this point, I'd say his career is probably done. Hmm. I didn't even realize he was still uh, in the league. Yeah, 2020 signed to the Chicago Bears practice squad. Uh, practice squad contract expired after the 2021 season. Yeah, so I didn't realize. I was looking to see what he uh, is doing now. I don't know if he was just like a trainer or maybe a coach back at like some high school or whatever. But yeah, it looks like he could still make a... And, and looking at him in that documentary, it looks like he could still get out there and play if he needed to. Oh, yeah. Man, I just can't can't believe it. Can't believe that story. It's crazy it's a decade old now. Oh, I know. And it's crazy to think... You know, hindsight, thinking of what catfishing is now. I mean, there's the TV shows. I mean, everybody, if you say catfishing, people yeah. exactly, immediately know what it is. And back then, I mean, nobody had I- any it was, idea. It was a if new were, thing. If you were getting a message on Facebook, MySpace, whatever, you, you just assumed it was a real person. You assumed yeah. that's who you were talking to. Wow. As the world turns. As the world turns. But anyways, uh, in pressing news and real news, uh, Neil Brown came out and announced the starting quarterback for the Mountaineers against Pitt this coming Thursday, and to no surprise, Parker, it is JT Daniels. Yeah, this was expected. I mean, I just was, I was kind of curious as to why Neil was stretching out for as long as he did. I get why he was, just to give that little bit of element of surprise, just because, hey, we could be starting Goose, we could be starting Garrett Green. Just to give kind of pit like okay we're not we got a game plan for all these guys instead of game planning just for JT but in hindsight they probably have been game planning for JT the entire time it would it would be a colossal blunder I think if JT Daniels went wasn't named the week one starter but yeah we'll have to see how he does it's going to be a battle of transfer quarterbacks as Keaton Slovis is a USC transfer coming to Pitt and JT has made stops at USC and Georgia now makes his way to Morgantown and. It's going to set up for a good matchup, I think, this Thursday at Akersher in Pittsburgh. I think so, too. And uh, Coach Neil Brown in his press conference yesterday, among other things, said, decision-making is what won the job for him. JT Daniels is who he's talking about. I have a lot of confidence in him and how he'll perform in the opener. The quarterback competition it went on for the first two weeks of camp, and all four of the guys had equal opportunity. But over the course of these two weeks, JT earned the spot. And, uh, and it's interesting because I think a lot of people are putting too much I guess, emphasis on the environment that he's going to be going into because it's going to be insane. People have been waiting for this game for, what, a decade now pretty much? And now it's, you know, West Virginia's got that highly touted quarterback and they got some receivers around him. They got some tools and coming up against a top 25, top 20 ranked team in Pitt. So people were thinking that the environment might rattle him, but you forget this is going to be his, like, 20th start, you know, at high-level Division I football. So I don't think 
the atmosphere is going to be too much. I think, if anything, it should probably lift them up a little bit more. Yeah, I think so. It's going to be a hostile environment for sure, but this is a guy that's played against Oregon, Washington. He's played against some of the better SEC teams in that division. He's played against Florida's. He played against Arkansas, Alabama's, teams like that. He's played that high level of competition in college football, and him coming to in this environment against Pitt is going to be a little rowdy, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more rowdy than what he's expected, but he's been in situations to where he's had to – control the environment around him and i think it's going to be a good decision and uh bryce ford wheaton i saw was talking about jt's deep ball he said it's the best he's ever seen so that could be a really good connection come uh later on this year if uh daniels and wheaton get it going on the offensive end and that, if that happens it could be a big problem for not only pip i think for the rest of the big 12 later on in the season i think so too that's going to be a pretty fun uh connection to watch develop over the season uh and watching you know some videos and whatnot the behind the mountaineers kind of uh, stuff on youtube and whatnot seeing it does look like he throws a pretty darn good football parker but people forget that he was undefeated when he was starting for georgia he was 68 for 94 uh passing 722 yards seven touchdowns three interceptions uh, as two years over at georgia or down at georgia i guess he had a 69.4 uh completed pass percentage he was 148 for 213 through for almost 2,000 yards i mean he's been all over the place he's played in you know the biggest of games against the biggest of teams and i think i think this is going to be uh not as interesting as a season with him as I think people are looking for. I think it's going to just be a good season where he just does his thing. And I think the Mountaineers could surprise a lot of people in this conference. I think so, too. If things come to fruition and JT proves that he is that type of guy, he is the five-star recruit coming out of high school, then, yeah, Mountaineers could surprise a lot of people win eight, eight to ten games, realistically. But, again, if JT gets hurt, or and that's been a big issue with JT, is getting his hurt. His leg, right? I don't know if it's his leg or if it's his shoulder, mm-hmm. something like that, but it's been injury history with JT has been the issue. That's the reason he transferred out of Georgia was because he got injured and then Stetson Bennett ended up taking that spot, led Georgia to the national, led Georgia to the national championship. And then you're, I don't know how you're going to bench the guy that won you a national title, a quarterback. You really can't. Mm-hmm. So that's what led JT to transfer out of Georgia. So at the end of the day, if JT can stay healthy, you can see, a very big win total. I think, again, we've mentioned it before, the over-under for wins for this team's five and a half. I think that's very much underrated. Yeah, I think, I think so that's too. an easy over, especially when you have a schedule like that. If they beat Pitt, it's an easy over because realistically, Virginia Tech's not going to be very good this year, I think. They're in a rebuilding stage with a new head coach, but the game is in Blacksburg, so you can't out you can't fully count out the Hokies in that case. But again, you have Kansas, you have Towson, and you have other teams as well, such as like a Texas Tech, a TCU, and a Kansas State, which people are lumping the Mountaineers in with. I think it's realistic if you get those wins, it could propel you to even beat a team like Baylor, maybe even sneak up against Texas and Oklahoma later on in the year. So there's a lot going on. And the good thing is if JT gets hurt, it's a deep quarterback room in Morgantown. You've got guys who could step in there. Goose Crowder, they've liked him a lot. Garrett Green, we know what Garrett Green brings to the table as a dual threat quarterback, mainly using his legs. And then hopefully he doesn't get used this season to save him for a retro year. But Nico, Nico's mm-hmm. another guy that, that's been very much applauded for in camp as well. Well, that game is on Thursday, of course, in Pittsburgh. Uh, I just can't wait to see how the stadium fan-wise uh, splits up. I think that's – I wonder if there's any props out on that, any prop bets out for that of uh, what the split for the stadium is going to be like. It would be interesting. I, th- I, kinda, I, don't think, well, like- I don't think the view fans outnumber. I think it's probably 60 40 pit. 60 40 pit. Yeah. I, see, I think it's going to be closer to a 50 50. I think maybe like 55 45 because I think what kills it might be a Thursday game because, I mean, it, I mean, how far is the trip from Morgantown? Nah, to, nah, nah, I think it's like about what? an hour. 
Yeah, if that. Eh, it wouldn't be terrible. I guess the traffic would be awful, but <laughs> yeah. as, as, the only, it's, as, as long as you can get out of your Friday classes, if you're in Morgantown, I would I would say go for it. But I, I've been texting with a couple people, seeing if they're going to go. Some of them are yeah, some of them are no. So it's kind of kind of a split. I think it might be a little bit more than the pit side, though. Oh, I, yeah, I think so. The traffic will be a thing, but I would not be surprised if there's not already a bunch of uh, Mountaineer fans already kind of hanging out in Pittsburgh, staying around and getting ready for things. It's going to be a fun one. It's definitely going to be a fun one. That's the late game, too, on Thursday. So uh, we'll be watching that on our way back from Southern Connecticut, from New Haven, Connecticut, because, uh, of course, Shepard has their season opener against the uh, Southern Connecticut State University Owls, I believe. Um yeah, the Owls, uh, which is a Thursday at 5.30, which you can hear over on 95.9 The Big Dog. But coming up after the break, we'll keep talking about uh, WVU a little bit in this quarterback competition, but then there's a ton of national sports. U.S. Open uh, tennis is going on. Serena Williams is in her final big tournament, and she won her first game. She's just the greatest. I love watching Serena play, but we'll chat about all that and more coming up on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Alongside me is Parker Stone. We've been chatting about well WVU announcing their starter as JT Daniels. To no surprise, I don't think to anybody in the world really that watches college football. But hey, unfortunately, West Virginia is not the only team in the nation. And uh, we were talking about Louisville a little bit off the air, and they have well what they're saying is Lamar Jackson 2.0. So let me tell me a little bit about this Malik Cunningham. Yeah, he looks like he's going to be the real deal. Syracuse's head coach, Dino Babers, came out and he said on Malik Cunningham, he said when he steps on the field traditionally, he's the best football player on the field. There's other players on that football team as well, but Malik, there's no doubt he is special. So, And then a comment underneath the thread says he's basically Lamar Jackson 2.0. So we'll have to see. Well, it worked out last time and they had an athlete this good at quarterback. So yeah. Might be the case, and I think they've ranked. Uh, some people are saying Cunningham's going to be one of the most exciting players in college football this upcoming season, along with guys like Deuce Vaughn, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Anderson over at Alabama. Those guys could be interesting. I'm and maybe a dark horse candidate for Heisman if you want to take out a betting odd for Malik Cunningham. The odds have to be fantastic for him right now. So if you want, if you want to take a flyer like dollar or two dollar bet out on Heisman for this year, maybe Malik Cunningham's your go. Yeah, watching a little bit of his uh, film, he looks on the field exactly like Lamar Jackson. He looks even actually like Lamar Jackson a little bit, which is kind of crazy. But do you think he's good enough? I mean, he needs 19 touchdowns to beat Lamar Jackson's uh, touchdown record at Louisville. He's got 100 right now on the dot. He needs 19. Do you think he can do that? I mean, he's in a conference that should allow that. Is that total touchdowns or is it? I'm pretty sure. Okay. I think it's just uh, rushing touchdowns. Rushing touchdowns. Okay, that makes it a little bit more difficult. Um. Actually, I lied to you twice. It is 100 career touchdowns. He's career touchdowns? Yeah. Okay, then yes. Yeah, 100 career touchdowns, all you have to do. I think he He's got a better arm than Lamar did in college. Okay, then yeah, absolutely. He could definitely pass for 15 and rush for four, or he can rush for six and pass for 12 easily, especially in a weak ACC. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely possible. I think he'll get it. So speaking of the ACC, do you think Clemson's ever going to leave? Is there really a reason for him to leave unless they have to? I mean... It all comes down to money and deals. I think that's what this all has came down to at the end of the day is just who's willing to pay out the most money for a television deal, television but, rights, but media rights. But do you rights. think that that messes with their like 
prestige, air quotes, prestige with them, you know, being in the ACC and they're playing, you know, North Carolinas and things like that. Instead of playing, you know, your Alabamas, your Floridas, your Georgias and whatever until you get to like the national championship or the playoffs. Out of all the teams in the ACC, I think between Florida State and Clemson, those two would be the most likely to make that jump to the SEC. Maybe Miami as well, just because it's at like that people want like big headliner matchups and if you place like if you place Clemson in the SEC East and you have Clemson and Georgia every single year you you have Clemson South Carolina every single year that's a big rivalry in the state in the state mm-hmm. it could work out i think for that and there's a uh, there's an interesting little clause in the ACC conferences charter mm-hmm. that if they drop below 10 teams they'll disband the conference mm-hmm. so if that if that were to ever happen It'd be interesting to see what what would happen of the ACC if that would if that would be the case. Would they open arms to a team like a West Virginia? Would they open arms to a team like try and recruit Maryland back? Would you yeah. want to try and get other team? Would you want to pull up a team from like the American kind of like how the Big Twelve is done with Cincinnati and UCF? What well, what would be the move there? Because the ACC is different from other conferences because they highly include academics into mm. their admittance into the conference granted the big 10 does it as well i think but the acc is very adamant on having high level of academics in their conference teams so i don't know if they'll be able to waive that for maybe a wvu or maybe some other teams in the lower end like the american or the Sun Belt or things like that but i think it's possible and, and again i think if there's any team that was going to make that jump i think it'll be a clemson a miami or a florida state from those three well i still hold on to the fact that i think it's eventually uh, not in, I don't think the very near future, but eventually it's going to go to just one major, like two major conferences, right? Just like a North and a South or whatever. But then that's going to eventually disband and it's going to go back to regional inside of those big conferences. And then it's going to look exactly like it did 15 years ago with your Big East, ACC, SEC, that kind of split out the way it was. Because I think it was perfect. And then everybody got greedy with money and college football got too big. Although it's never going to get any smaller. It's only going to get bigger. But yeah, I think, I think personally Clemson's got a at some point, get out of the ACC. Yeah, I just think the competition level right now in the ACC is not where it needs to be. You have Clemson, NC State looks like it's going to be a pretty good team this year. North Carolina's good every few years. You've got, and outside of that, Virginia Tech hasn't been really good in a few years. Pitt's been winning the Coastal at, what, seven, mm-hmm. eight wins? It's pathetic for a, a division in a conference to win, win it with eight wins. And Miami's hit or miss every year. Florida State's been bad it seems ever since Jimbo Fisher left yeah so it's it's very barren right now in the ACC and there's a lot of question marks I think for the next few well people were concerned because people thought the question marks were in the big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas leaving I think there's more question marks in the ACC because mm-hmm. they don't lot, have as many they don't have as many big teams to draw from no there's when in the big 12 at least for football basketball yeah. they still got it but. yeah basketball they're still good even in the big 12 you've got Baylor who's draws in both WVU draws in both You've got Kansas who draws big time for basketball. And you've got you got other teams as well coming in. Oklahoma State's a big draw on both ends. You've got many teams that can still draw in the Big Twelve. And the ACC, if Clemson or Miami or Florida State leaves, that's main that's like your big three, I think, for like brand wise in those divisions. And if Clemson goes that's probably your biggest yeah. loss. That's your biggest revenue loss, in my opinion. Clemson goes. That goes right back to being a basketball conference immediately. Which the ACC, man, ACC back, basketball back in the day, like the early 2000s. Man, it was so good. 90s even. Well, all the way back into the 60s, I guess. You really would go that far. But yeah, interesting. Interesting how things are playing out in college football. Because it's only going to get crazier with the money getting crazier and bigger. Ugh, 
You never know what's going to happen. But when we come back, we're going to chat about Serena. We're going to chat about the Knicks because R.J. Barrett's getting paid big time. Thankfully, so glad as a Knicks fan that R.J. Barrett seems to be uh, staying for a little bit longer. Now, if we can just get you know a couple of the other guys out of there, things will be a lot better. We'll chat about that after the break here on Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, part of the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Icewinner. Alongside me is Parker Stone. So we've talked college football because, well, that's what's on everyone's mind. Although, we do have some NFL football getting ready to come up before uh, we start talking about the Knicks because, of course, we've got to talk about R.J. Barrett getting that bag. Uh, did you see what um, Baker Mayfield said about the Week 1 matchup? What did he say? I didn't see the comment he made. There were a lot of uh, expletives, but paraphrasing, he says he's ready to beat them, but you can add a couple uh, more colorful words in there do you think baker mayfield's got that got it to beat the uh, browns at home week one i think so especially since they're starting jacoby Brissett at quarterback for the first 11 games yeah. i think i think he's got it i think the media really took it at baker way too hard mm-hmm. towards last season he was playing injured for the most part with a torn labrum in his shoulder on a bad team on a, on a team where yeah he's he didn't have the best weapons his way in my opinion but i think there's there's cases as to why Baker maybe not be the guy who we thought he was after his rookie year. There were moments where he missed passes. I saw a clip yesterday. He had a wide open Odell on a wheel route, just totally sailed him outside. So that that brings up questions. And I think it's the same kind of case of where we are were with Sam Darnold last year. Is is it you or is it the team? So Darnold proved it was him. He's he's pretty much locked himself up as a draft boss now. So we'll have to see if the number one overall pick from that draft does the same as the number three did in that same year with, which is, that's a wild stat. I wonder if, I wonder if that's ever been done before that, because both those guys, there's, they still are on rookie deals. Mm-hmm. As far as I know of is that's that like the first time a, a two quarterbacks from the same draft class and the top three picks are on the same team. That's a good question. And I think it has to be because you've got the number one and number three overall pick on the same team. One's back and one up and one's going to be a starter. I don't know, but there's weapons for uh, Baker. I think he has better weapons on the uh, Panthers than he did yeah. on the Browns. I think McCaffrey fits him better than Nick Chubb because it looked like the Browns wanted to run the ball a lot with their offense, which, well, yeah, fair enough. You got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. It might be the best one-two punch in football, but again, outside of that, you've got McCaffrey in Carolina who is great at receiving the ball out of the backfield. You've got DJ Moore. you got Robbie Anderson. You have multiple weapons. Like I just drafted a young left tackle, Iki Ikuanu from NC State. Mm-hmm. You've got guys there, and I think it's just on Baker. Let's see how he plays healthy this year, and then if he's a bomb, then maybe we just have to chalk it up and say, hey, it was Baker. I hope we get to see like peak Oklahoma Baker week one. Like just that bravado, the cockiness, you know, him screaming and yelling, staring dudes down. Like that's the Baker that we loved in college and that we just haven't been able to see. Well, I guess we saw it a little bit his first year uh, with the Browns. But after that, we haven't seen that in a long time. So I hope I hope we see that because I like Baker, man. I think he's kind of yeah. gotten a short end of the stick. I think he's a good quarterback. Yeah, he might be might not be the most consistent quarterback out there, but I hope he plays well. And I hope he definitely beats the Browns, which I think we can I can say for both of us that we think he will beat the Browns 
uh, on week one. But let's talk a little basketball because this morning it was like waking up on Christmas morning, turning on ESPN and seeing R.J. Barrett uh, finalized a four-year extension for $120 million. Could you imagine getting paid that much money to play basketball? And I'm so happy that R.J. Barrett's back. I think he should be and will be the cornerstone for the Knicks for many years to come. He's a great player. He's got a great basketball mind. He comes from a good basketball family. Of course, his dad's the head coach of the Canadian uh, national team where he is a stud on the Canadian national team. I think that's a huge pickup for the Knicks. But it does kind of mess things up with Donovan Mitchell possibly coming. That takes a lot of money out of what could have been going into Donovan Mitchell's pocket. Do you think now? I don't think Donovan Mitchell. I don't. I really didn't think he was going to come anyways. But now I think that pretty much solidifies it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Apparently, the uh, Knicks gave the Jazz a Monday night deadline to work out a Donovan Mitchell trade, which presumably would have probably included R.J. Barrett. Oh, for sure. In that deal, at the end of the day. With that, they say, okay, you're not wanting to do what we want to do for a Mitchell deal. All right, we're going to extend RJ. So that was basically what they were offering up the Jazz. Okay, either we do this trade for Donovan or we're, it's falling through we're re-signing our young guy. So Barrett gets a big-time deal, four-year extension. And, yeah, he's only 22 years old. So this is a guy I think you could really build behind. He's shown really good flashes. He had his best season last year, showed big-time moments where he looked like the leader of the Knicks team, which oh, yeah. is fantastic if you're a Knicks fan. And on top of that, you got guys that are coming up too. You've got Julius Randle who's been doing good for the past few years. Which Take him, leave him. Just, just I want him gone. I want, you, you I want, want him traded. Trade him. Trade him for anybody. I Julius Randle is the most frustrating basketball player in the world to watch. I mean, he's, he's inconsistent. Great. He's a great basketball player when he plays like his game as a big man down low. And there's nothing more frustrating. I literally turn the game off every time I'm watching it when there's like a minute left, less than a minute left, and here comes. Julius Randle is walking the ball up the court with the ball in his hand, and I know exactly what's going to happen each time. They're going to push him to his right hand. He's going to try and spin back to his left. He's going to dribble it off his foot. He's going to turn it over, and that's the game the Knicks lose. So, I mean, as for as good as Julius Randle's been the last couple of years for the Knicks, with his name still being as big as it is, get rid of him for somebody that could you know, facilitate, like a point guard. They need a point guard so bad. They've needed a point guard since, what, Jason Kidd? I wouldn't even say Jason Kidd. I mean, that was that – was halfway on with a walker jason kid and yeah. he was he was they were ready to put him out on the pasture whenever he was on the knicks so oh was he then like 39 yeah well that's usually yeah. how it works for the knicks they get guys that are on their last legs and they play you know better than you expect but it's still not as good um as you need so man but i'm so happy to hear that uh rj barrett's back and i've been seeing some film of him with the uh canadian national team and some of those guys uh playing this uh summer and whatnot and that canadian national team's actually looking pretty good so i'll be interested to see you know of course once the olympics come back around and uh what's uh, what's there's another i can't remember what the other big like world the fiba world championships yeah when that comes back around see uh, how he plays too but yeah i think that's pretty good signing for the knicks long term yeah, I agree. I think that's that's a deal they needed to make. That's a guy they should build around. And what's killed the Knicks over the past few years is poor drafting. Yeah. Between Kevin Knox, who's no longer with the team, you've got Emmanuel Quickly, who's making a roll off the bench right now, but it's a guy you probably would want starting. And then there's there's at least a couple more that's been very much hit or miss. And free agent signings that have been very much in and out over the past few years. I mean, you had Derrick Rose, but now he's gone. And you've brought in guys before, like we mentioned before, Jason Kidd passed his prime. And then, I mean, this is going back a bit of ways. Amari Stoudemire was a great signing, but how good was he for a year and a half? Mm -hmm. And then everything just falls apart. So 
that's what I think the Knicks need to really work on is just finding guys, building their young core and working their way up. Because right now the window I don't think is there because, I mean, you've got the Celtics. Yeah. You've got the Nets. The tough East. Yeah, you got the Celtics, you got the Nets, you got the Sixers, you got the Bucks. Those those are just four teams right there. Cleveland's a good young team right now. They got a lot of young pieces. Miami's always mm-hmm. in the mix still. It's deep in the East. So I think right now maybe not the time to contend, but now's a great time for you to really – build your young core and work with that. I mean, you got Obi Toppin, who was a top 10 pick. Love Obi. You've got Frank Nilakina, yep. which is he still on the roster? No, he's not. Okay. There's another, <laughs> there's another guy who ended up not working out for him. And then, well, it's another guy that ended up not working out for him. They trade like Porzingis is yeah, the Porzingis prime is example good. of that. I mean, they trade, they draft him myself included, hated the pick because I, I feel like those uh, European guys, they always take them too young and then they take them forever to, you know, you expect them to, you know, immediately come in and contribute. Then they don't. Uh, and then they trade him away right when he's getting into his prime, and then he goes off. But I think it's a pretty good start for the Knicks. I think it's a good. It, that's RJ Barrett's a good kind of cornerstone uh, to build around, definitely. And I'm glad we got a little Knicks talk for a good reason this time, instead of the Knicks, you know, always disappointing uh, everybody. But also happening in New York right now is the U.S. Open tennis, uh, which I think is one of the coolest sporting events in the U.S. I want to go to it so bad. It just seems like it's so casual. It's not like when you watch Wimbledon or like the French Open where everybody's quiet and they're dressed nice and, you know, like royalties there and stuff. Just the common man sitting there in New York and it's in like Queens or whatever, just hanging out watching a little tennis. And Serena, this is her last big tournament before she retires. Uh, she's won this 23 Grand Slam. She won her first U.S. Open back in 99 when she was just 17 years old and she wins yesterday to advance uh, to the second round of the U.S. Open. And I'm not sure if you watched any of it or at least any of the highlights. She won it in pretty dominating fashion and it's starting to set up a matchup between her and what people are calling the next Serena Williams, Coco Golf, which should be a pretty interesting uh, matchup one it happens yeah that could be a really passing of the torch moment if we get to that point again serena beat her opponent daka kovinich 6363 monday night and serena was quoted saying you know i always just got to do the best i can i felt so comfortable on the court in front of everyone here i think she's just enjoying it right now yeah. she, she's planning on leaving the sport of tennis in the next coming weeks or months she's 40 years old she's just wanting to take the time to enjoy her family and to just be a mom which mm-hmm. i applaud her for for stepping away she's her legacy's cemented. She's oh, it's been cemented. It's it's yeah, it's been cemented. She's the greatest women's tennis player of all time. She's been a trailblazer for the sport, and I, I really applaud her for stepping up and saying, "Hey, I I want to take some time away. I want to enjoy my family, and I don't want this to rule my life. I want to watch my kids grow up." That's that takes a lot of guts to do that, and I really applaud her for it. I hope she goes deep into the tournament. If she wins, if Whoa. she wins it, what a send off that Whoa. would be. But again, again, hopefully this mat- sets up a matchup with Coco later on, and then this may be the passing of the torch. I mean, she's been doing it for so long, almost 30 years, 27 years, I think, is what she's been, or as long as she's been a professional tennis player. And in tennis, especially women's tennis, I mean, of course, I feel like a lot of the eyes immediately go towards men's tennis, but women's tennis is an incredibly competitive and tough sport around the world. And to be as successful as she's had to win all these majors, all these grand slams, uh, and for as long as she's done it, the longevity has been incredible. And Coco Goff, she said after she won her first round match, uh, I definitely wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her speaking about Serena Williams. So if you have a chance to watch U.S. Open at all, I would highly suggest you watch Serena because this is probably the last time you'll be watching her in a uh, major like the U.S. Open, which is always fun to watch because the fans are crazy. They're yelling, uh, yelling back at players and things like that, which is uh I think what makes U.S. sports a little bit different than everything else because the fans get a little bit more into it, it seems. They're not as polite, <laughs> I guess as you could say, with yeah. like when you go to Wimbledon and whatnot. 
Yep, I agree. It's on the same way. This just came through. I was looking at it right here. Uh, Baltimore Ravens looking to sign uh, King and Drake. was just released from the Raiders a couple days ago. They're looking to bring him in possibly to, I guess, compete in that running back room. The Ravens still got questions at the running back position yeah. with uh, we don't know if J.K. is going to be ready for week one. Gus Edwards is going to be out the first four games. He's still recovering from his tear. And then outside of that, you've got Mike Davis, Justice Hill, and Tyler Baldy. So I, th- I think this is a good move. If J.K. can't go, you have King and Drake be your lead back for the first couple weeks and then get J.K. back up and running and Drake's had some good flashes. He's a good spell back, I think. He's did good in Miami when he was there. He had some good he had some good moments with the Raiders. And I kinda like this signing. Pending a physical, it looks like King and Drake's gonna be a Raider. I thought or, excuse gonna, me, a Raven. I thought you were gonna say that they were looking uh, to trade somebody for Poe with his ACL getting torn, the mascot. Well, they probably need to now because he's he's he, gonna be out a few weeks. A few weeks, few months more <laughs> like it. If it's as bad as they say it is. Man, I watched that video last night and uh the guy looked like such a painful injury, and that's gotta be a somewhat embarrassing. Uh, injury too for a mascot to blow your ACL out like that to delay the start of the second half because they gotta they gotta I'm wheel the mascot off. I'm a, imagine you're the guy that plays Poe and you show up to a bar one night. You're like, yeah, um, there was that one time I blew my knee out being Poe for the Ravens, like 20 years from now or something like that. Oh my gosh, could you? I wonder if like people who are mascots tell people they're mascots. Do they or is it kind of like a secret, like like a secret society of like, okay, you can't tell people you're the mascot. Mm-hmm. Because I know uh, somebody showed me that. I had a few friends who went to Virginia Tech. They said the uh, Hokie Bird, the people who are the Hokie Bird, they don't say it until like when they graduate. Really? So, yeah, that's like their thing. They'll reveal who the Hokie Bird is like at graduation, like who was the Hokie Bird the entire time. Hmm. Well, I know uh, professional mascots get paid a ton, ton of money. I know with the Nationals, they have the guys that like do the running presidents things, and they get paid a significant amount over six figures. I know Screech for the Capitals, he gets paid like $120,000 a year. So I can only imagine what Poe and them are making. So if I was if I was a professional mascot, I think I'd be telling people I was a professional mascot. They'd be like, oh, how'd you get this new car? It's like, well, got my ACL blown out in a uh, youth football game at halftime. Yeah. Now I'm out. I mean, once you get through the pain and the uh, medical expenses, I think it'd be worth it, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. Easily. For sure. But after the break, we'll come back and we'll get Parker's picks and we'll wrap things up here for today's Panhandle Sports Live coming up on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Icewinner. Alongside me is Parker Stone. And let's get right into it. What you got for picks today, Parker? All right. So we did go three for three. Perfect slate to start off the week. Love that. Great, great start to a Monday. Hopefully we can keep the momentum going here on your Tuesday. So for the lock of the day, yesterday's lock, we had the Dodgers beating the Marlins, which of course paid out. And then our bonus picks, we included Nolan Arnato getting two plus bases in the the Cardinals absolutely routed the Cincinnati Reds as Pujols hit home run 694 on that one. It looks like it's looking more likely he's going to get to that 700 mark. But for today's lock of the day, I'm going with the Seattle Mariners over the Detroit Tigers because the Mariners need to keep up in that leg in the wild card race. They're only, I think, a half game up on the Rays. For, no, excuse me, the Blue Jays for the last spot in that race. So I'm going Mariners to beat the Tigers who have been struggling mildly all season long. Then for the bonuses, I think these are two two solid ones i'm going astros over the rangers in that one and then i'm going the phillies over the diamondbacks now here's the thing if you didn't see the phillies game last night the phillies surrendered a seven run lead and end up losing against the diamondbacks but 
I think they recovered tonight. The Phillies need to keep pace right now. They're doing good in the wild card race. They seem like they're going to make it in, but they need to get wins against good wins against like mid level teams like the Diamondbacks. So that's what I'm going with. Lock of the day once again for you: Seattle Mariners over the Detroit Tigers. And while we got a little bit of time left, uh, you brought up and now once you did my. Twitter feed and whatnot is completely stacked with it, but it's an interesting year anniversary today uh, for those that follow sports. Yeah, today is the uh, one-year anniversary of the Bishop Sycamore High School scandal. Now, if you are unaware of what happened this time last year, there was a football game played. It was a high school game. On national TV. It was on ESPN between the IMG Academy, which if you don't know about the IMG Academy, it's one of the biggest sports high schools in the nation. It's based in Florida. They were playing a team based in Columbus, Ohio, called the Bishop Sycamore Peas. Now, here's the fun thing about this. Bishop Sycamore was not an actual school. Yeah, never existed. Never existed. And it was made up of guys who were in their, as as upwards (laughs) into their mid-20s playing high school. These were adults playing high school children. And the funny thing is, the kids at IMG blew them out of the water it was bad it was horrendous yeah and nobody knew why everybody was like why is this why is img playing this team that you know on national tv that everybody thought was this big team and uh well it turned out to be so bad but it really started to come back on the media a little bit because everybody was talking about this uh you know bishop sycamore giving all these stats and things like that and their you know past records and they come to find out that none of it uh, was real and that the players were just living in hotels they weren't even getting fed they didn't have equipment i mean they had to like buy their own way to different things they're playing like two three games in a week football games in a week uh, but yeah, there were like 25 year old dudes and there's, uh, the highlights that are kind of circulating around of this guy that, I mean, he obviously looks like he is 10 years older than everybody else he's playing. He's absolutely destroying some of these kids on defense and on offense, but man, Bishop Sycamore, what a, uh, what an interesting situation that was. And it's not the only team that's ever done that. I can't think of the names of the schools, but there, I think there are three other ones that have come out past or since the Bishop Sycamore news released that there were these fake teams that, you know, kids weren't getting paid and her work, uh, getting scholarships and what have you, but ugh, Bishop Sycamore. And here's the interesting thing on the uh, coach, Roy Johnson. He uh, he called all his plays from the Madden video game. And he had an active warrant out and whatnot, and he had to yeah. like hide on the sidelines sometimes. And that the team attacked a homeless man for attempting to break into Johnson's car. The only class offered to students was a religious class taught by Johnson. So the man with an active warrant who was faking to be a high-level high school football coach was teaching was apparently teaching a religious class so always always be accountable for the people you think are in the higher ups of positions listeners just so you know you never know what's going on no you never do and it was impressive how they kind of duped the whole world there for well at least a year uh, and they were on you know they got all this pub and whatnot but then they went bankrupt and then the coach vanished and kids were trying to get in touch with the coach on how to even get home because a lot of these kids didn't have you know transportation to get where they were going the coach vanishes and then they realize that money's gotten taken out that <clears throat> of their own accounts that you know were going to wherever and what a just incredible incredible situation that was yeah it's it's kind of wild to even think this happened and how they got away with it it's it they said one member of the ESPN production team likened the game to four and five star recruits against a JV team. So that's that that's probably the best way to describe how this went. And so I guess there will be a better background checks on teams playing now, so we don't have another uh Bishop Sycamore. So 
Happy one year to the peas of Bishop Sycamore. Thank you for giving us one of the better memes of the 2020s decade so far. Absolutely. And if you miss any showing this back to it a little bit later on. But for Parker, I'm Jordan. This has been Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is next, and we will talk to you tomorrow. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here, too.